Hey, my name is Philip Craig. I'm the pastor here at Aria Church. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope this podcast empowers you, hope it fuels your faith, and hope it impacts your life. Enjoy the message. We're into a new message uh, series called The Good Work, and this morning's message is called I Can't Take It Anymore. Anyone ever been in a situation where you would say, I can't take it anymore? <laughs> I just can't take it. Something's not right. I'm at the end of my tether, um, and I can't take it anymore. Um, it was nearly like I, I was out for a walk yesterday in Peatlands Park. Lovely snowy weather. It was a bit of fun, but we went on a walk on a trail, and we didn't really look at uh, how long the trail was, and it just kept going on and on. And honestly, I was done at about one mile, and it was three miles and so sometimes life in seasons like this, and some seasons of our life, it can feel like it just keeps going on and on. And, and something inside of you just, I can't take it. Something needs to shift. Something needs to change. And often what needs to happen in those circumstances is our attitude needs to change. Our, our perspective needs to change. And that's the beauty about having faith. It's a perspective. It's a shift in how we see and how we think. Um, and so... We're going to talk about the book of Nehemiah. So this is, Nehemiah was a guy that was known within the scriptures for rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And a little bit of background about Nehemiah. Nehemiah was called a cupper. A cupper was a person who worked alongside very closely with the king. So in essence, what he really done, and this is how important his job was, in those days people were trying to overturn each other. You know, they wanted their kingdoms and they wanted to overcome other kingdoms so they could get more land and more possession and more money and more resource. And so the king, once they took the king out, the kingdom would often fall. And so because of that and all this kind of uh, ambition and, 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 and st- stuff going on behind the scenes, the, k- the king had to be careful who he kept around him to the point where he would have a cupper who would even taste the wine before he would taste the wine in case somebody had poisoned him. <laughs> you thought you had a bad, when people in your own household could be poisoning you to take over the kingdom. And so this was what, going, what was going on. Nehemiah was the cupper, the servant to the king. So he would have been somebody who the king trusted. He would have been somebody who was very loyal, who had good integrity. He would have told the king the truth about situations, even if he didn't want to hear it. This was the nature and the character of this guy, Nehemiah. He was an ordinary person. He wasn't the king. He served the king. But watch this. Because of his loyalty, because of his integrity and his character, he, he would, what, what the king talked about, he would have heard. The secrets and the plans for the kingdom, he, he would have heard and, and had to keep to himself. He would have known uh, the strategies, he would have known the plans, but he also would have ate the same food that the king, king ate. He also would have had the same computer systems, the same TV systems. He, he, he would have had the same, um, obviously he drank the same wine as well. So he was in a high position, a position of a lot of comfort and a position where you, know, you don't really want to, there's not really anywhere to go apart from being the king from that point because he, he, had, he had a position of honor. But, but Nehemiah built the, the city walls not in that kingdom but in another kingdom in Jerusalem in 52 days. We're going to talk a little bit about what happened and how, how he got there. But, 
so here we have Nehemiah. He's sitting there. He's comfortable. He's, he's living in a palace. He's got all these. He's got the best of the best five-star treatments. He's got that three-course meal every day. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm sure his living conditions were the best of the best. The king trusted him, loved him, and loved having him around. But one day, something else happened. One day, everything changed, and this is where it began. One day, he had a conversation that bothered him to the point where everything shifted. So we're going to pick up here Nehemiah 1, 2 to 4. and says, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. Everybody say, wept. He sat down and he wept. He didn't do anything, he just sat down. He didn't think he probably had the solution, he just sat down. He, he, he was hurt. He was in pain. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. What do you do when you don't know what to do? I believe that's what Nehemiah was experiencing in these moments. He just didn't know what to do. He just knew he felt pain, disgust, hurt. Some of you maybe don't understand the background here. What had happened to his people was 140 years prior to this point, to this conversation, uh, Jerusalem had been taken captive by, by the king uh, Nebuchadnezzar, had came in and taken his people captive, and the, the city had been desolate for 140 years, for decades. And a remnant had came back, 50,000 Jews approximately had came back to the city. But the problem is they came back and there were no walls. And because there was no walls, there was no protection. And because there was no protection, they were vulnerable for a cycle to repeat itself. And maybe in our lives, sometimes the same can happen. Maybe you've watched some of your friends or your family, even yourself, and in an area, it feels like something's been stolen from you. Maybe your innocence. Maybe finances. Maybe something went up the left when you were trying your best and the walls crumbled and they fell. Maybe relationships crumbled and fell and... and there's no protection anymore. There's no, there's no safety in it. If you come back, you're vulnerable again and, and you don't really know how to do it again. The walls have fallen. This is the situation that Nehemiah finds himself in. He, he sees what's happening and he sees a repeat. I, I believe Nehemiah realized if, if somebody doesn't do something, they're going to get taken captive again. The walls will continue to fall and they're going to get hurt again. My people, my ancestors, my grandfathers, my great-grandfathers, it hurt them to the core. And I remember um, not too long ago, I was talking to a friend, and he started to tell me about his upbringing. He started to tell me about uh, the dysfunctionality of his upbringing and, and, and how you know, his parents uh, maybe had some issues from the previous generation and they carried that on, and he inherited those things, and it was a wound, and it was painful, and it, honestly, it, the walls had fallen. He wasn't protected from the hurt. He wasn't protected and wasn't safe, and so he inherited the curse. 
He inherited the pain of his grandfather and his great-grandfather. It seemed to pass down through generations. And when he told me this, it, it hurt to see the water in his eyes. It hurt me to see the pain that he possessed. And, and honestly, I've had conversations before where people have told me these, those things and I maybe didn't let it hurt me. I, I shrugged it off and walked on and I, it didn't bother me. But this time it was different. It hurt me. And when I allowed it to hurt me, something inside of me rose up. Something inside of me wanted... I, I didn't... This can't go on. Like, we've we, we got to do something about this. Like, I don't want you to live that life. I don't want you to repeat that cycle. I believe Nehemiah was feeling the same way. I, I, it, let's, let's put a full stop instead of a comma. Let's start a new chapter instead of continuing on the sentence. Let, let's, let's actually write a new book in this chapter. Let, let, let's, let's throw that book out and start a new book and start in chapter one, the introduction. And so often in our lives, that's what happens. We don't know what to do. We're, we're stuck. But when we dig deep enough, like Nehemiah, I believe there's an answer. When we sit still in the presence of God, when we sit still in prayer, I'm telling you, God will give you ideas that you don't possess right now. Honestly, I'm telling you. And so what happened with me, with my friend, is I started to, to, to get a burden because I had probably some similarities in his story I could relate to. And, and I started to do research and I started to look for books and I started to, to look for people to help. Why? Because it hurt. See, number one, sometimes we, need to let the, sometimes we need to let the pain in for a purpose to get out. Sometimes you've got to let the pain in first before purpose can get out. Nehemiah had to sit down and weep before his God-given purpose could come to life. He had to come to a place on his knees where he realized, I don't know what to do. All I know is this is not right. All I know is I'm not happy with the way things are going on. All I know is something needs to stop. And maybe you find yourself in the same situation or you can think about a friend or you can think about people in the world today that are going through the same stuff and, and there's something deep within your heart that says, no, we've got to make a difference. This can't go on. Maybe, maybe in, in the world today you're thinking about human trafficking and you've heard stories and, and maybe for a while you shrugged it off because you didn't want to deal with the pain. You didn't want to deal with this injustice. You didn't want to deal with this this problem, it was too painful to even think about the problem, so you shrug it off, harden your heart, and move on. But maybe one conversation, at one point in your life, something shifted, something changed, or maybe it will. And this can't go on. I can't stand this any longer. I can't stand ignoring this problem. Or maybe, maybe uh, you've heard stories about child after child being bullied and their self-esteem is wrecked and I can't stand it anymore. Maybe it's neglected or abused people, children, families, addiction. Maybe you heard about addiction and I can't stand this any longer. Maybe it's problems with porn or marriage or homelessness or poverty or finances or emotional health, depression. Listen, we've got, a sh we've got some people that said, listen, something happened in their heart and they said, we can't stand this any longer. We've got to do something. And, and they, they decided to start a course, course and partner with Emmanuel Church in Lurgan, a course called Hope Rising. So if you struggle with anxiety or mild depression, let us know we got a course for that because somebody decided, I can't stand for this anymore. We can do something. 
We mightn't be able to help everyone, but we can help someone. Because somebody decided that, no, I can't stand it any longer. Or maybe, it's, it's, maybe you're passionate about the teaching of the Word. Too many people butchering the Word. Maybe you're saying that about me right now. <laughs> you want people to hear the Word of God and accurately and, and the way it should be. Or maybe you're passionate about worship people experiencing the presence of God. I can't stand it any longer. People just singing for the sake of singing. I want to see people truly get the heart of God. And, the, and that's when th- things begin. That's what I believe happened with Nehemiah. He sat and he wept and he worshipped. God, I don't know what to do, but I know you're good. And what does God always do? He raises up what? Not a magical plan, a person. Listen, I, I truly believe this. We're all one. Every, every problem is one person away from a solution. Our salvation is one person away from a solution in Jesus. But there's other problems on the earth today that God isn't, he's not going to do anything until we step in. I love this example. God did not make chairs. He made trees. <laughs> he didn't make chairs. So, so what does that tell me? It tells me that we need to step up. But, but we don't have to step up by striving. We have to step up by first sitting down and weeping and letting our hearts break for what breaks His. That's where we begin. It's the most healthy place to begin anything is to say, God, I don't know what to do. <laughs> But, but I know you do, and I know you can lead me, and I know you can open up doors, and I know you can open up my heart. So sometimes we've got to let the pain in. Maybe even you want to see more churches because you see the value in what the local church does in the local community and people's lives spiritually, but also practically. Maybe you want to plant a church. Man, believe in we will plant multiple churches over the next 10 and 20 years. I'm prophesying that there will be people in this room and watching online right now that you will start to say that, listen, I see the value and I I realize that Jesus is building one thing, his church. And we're going to plant churches all over the country. We're going to partner with other churches. Unity is our heart. It's not just about us. It's about the local church, the one church. Is that not exciting? Listen, there's some people that have went down the road of, of entrepreneurship and believing that we're going we're gonna to steal them for the kingdom because we need those entrepreneurs. So we need some of them to be entrepreneurs to provide for the kingdom, but we also need some of them to lead. We need their gifts in the church. I remember when I was about 17, and, and really this didn't make sense to me because I, I, I always loved sport. I just... I guess it was just for fun. I enjoyed socializing through sport, all kinds of sports. And I ended up being a PE teacher probably because of that. But when I was about 17, and, and I was looking at probably, the, the culture would have told me to start pursuing full-time football in England. But, but I really didn't have a burden for that. I didn't really care that much. I just enjoyed sport as a hobby, as fun. Uh, and when I was 17, something happened and it didn't make sense. And I had conversation and I started to realize about the local church. And, and out of nowhere, I started to get a burden. I started to feel pain for my friends and family who didn't know Jesus. I started to feel pain and frustration about how we were presenting ourselves and presenting Jesus 
to others. And I, I just, I felt that there's maybe some people didn't get it because we weren't explaining it in a certain way or we weren't presenting it in a way that maybe they could connect with. And it started to burden me. I started to feel pain in those areas. And, and that started me on a journey. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I, didn't even, I didn't even know what my role would be in that, in that, in that, on that journey. But, but I just knew I had a burden and I knew that it hurt and I knew that it frustrated me. See, sometimes the frustration that you have isn't your foe. It isn't your en- enemy. Because you're frustrated can sometimes, because that's the area that God has called you to, not called you from. Sometimes we run from frustration instead of sitting in it. Sometimes the frustration that you have is connected to what God has put you on the earth to do. And, it, and only because it hurts doesn't mean you, can't, you, try to, you try to band-aid the hurt. You try to put a, a plaster over the hurt. Actually, sometimes we need to sit in the hurt. Sometimes we need to feel the hurt and let that hurt inspire us to do something. Nehemiah was right in this place. See, pain can fuel creative solutions. You know, some of you maybe heard the A21 campaign, which is about human trafficking. Christine Kane, she runs that ministry. But, but she didn't just have a, a fluffy idea that, that she thought would get her famous. That, that was never the heart. If you hear her heart, she is so passionate because she's all about the one. She has met some of these girls who have been human trafficked, taken advantage, advantage of, manipulated, destroyed. She's met them. And when she met them, she hurt. She wept. And then she sat down and, and prayed, and God gave her an idea. I guarantee she didn't have the solution before she wept, before she came before God. But I, I bet you she got the solution after. And that's why she can endure hardship to pursue the mission, to pursue what, what has been put on her heart, because She's willing to sacrifice for it. You see, Nehemiah, guess how far Nehemiah was from Jerusalem at this point when he was in this lofty hotel, five-star hotel-like palace? He was a thousand miles away, and they didn't have planes, and they didn't have cars. How long would that have taken him to get to Jerusalem? That would have been awkward and annoying in itself. How am I going to get there? That's like from here to Poland on a horse. You know, would you, you know, I love my wife, but I don't know, I don't know, if, you know, that's a long, to date someone, if I had to go to Poland to try, you know, that's a long distance, I don't know if I would have had the willpower or the desire, but something in Nehemiah was so deep, so strong, his passion was, was so vast that he was willing to give up a lofty, comfortable position to go and make a difference, to go rebuild a wall to go rebuild a generation, to go, what would you be willing to do? And listen, if you try to answer that on your own surface kind of reaction, just a, a surface mindset, you, you're not, you're not going to do anything. You're not going to give up anything. What would you be willing to do to see somebody set free from human trafficking? What would you be willing to do to see your family come to Christ? What would you be willing to do to plant a local church in the UK, in, in Ireland? What would you be willing to do to see someone relieved from depression? What would you be willing to do 
to see somebody um, who is fatherless or, or motherless or in the foster care system to give them an, a good upbringing, what would you be willing to do? It's so easy just to shrug it off. I don't want to talk about those awkward conversations. What would you be willing to do about dealing with the issue of abortion? What would you be willing to do about any of those things? And, and often, sometimes, when we're so covered up and are in our comfortable life, we wouldn't be willing to do anything, if we're honest. But maybe there's one thing that you would be willing to do anything for. Maybe there's one thing that you would give your life to that lines with the heart of God. Maybe there's one thing that breaks your heart if you let the pain in. And I'm telling you, if you do, get ready for a journey that's, that's not just uh, exciting, but it's profitable to the kingdom of God. Maybe for you to make a difference in this earth, you need to find out one thing that bothers you, that keeps you up at night, and you need to start laying it before God and asking Him, what can I do? Nehemiah was an ordinary man. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't, he was in the pew. He wasn't on the leadership team. He wasn't a director. He, he, he wasn't anyone in the hierarchy that people would have looked up to as a leader. He was an ordinary person, a man who, who had a problem with injustice. But the one thing I love about Nehemiah is that he prayed. I remember, this is a funny kind of story, but um, I was in the States and I was studying and, and I was told that we were going on a mission trip to Swaziland. And I, I'd already kind of been through university, so I didn't really want to go into more debt. And I kind of went over in faith to America to study. And I didn't, honestly, I didn't have enough money to pay for the course, but I just said, I really believe I'm supposed to be here. And so I just went and trusted that God would provide, which he did. But it didn't just happen the way I thought it would. It didn't just happen simply. And there was a time where we had to raise $3,000 to get on this trip. Everyone else was from there. Everyone else was comfortable. It was easy for them. They knew people in the local area. I knew nobody, apart from about one family. And I remember praying. <laughs> I remember praying to God, God, I, I don't, give me a creative idea. Give me something that I could do to, to meet this need so we can go out and spread your word and, and reach the people of Swaziland. And I remember God, God put in my heart a random idea to have a dance party. That's not, doesn't sound very spiritual. You know, I, I'm learning as I go along. To have like a dance party, like a DJ and invite people to it. And, and it was so simple but it actually worked. And so we ended up having a dance party with about 100 people at it and a DJ, and it was a great night out, but we raised $2,000 in one night. But it was just so interesting to me that that was the, probably one of the first times I realized that, oh my word, in prayer, what prayer does to me, in prayer, it clears my mind. It gets me off this, this cycle of worry. It gets me off this, uh, this fear factor consuming my mind of what if, what if, what if, and it gets me to a place of peace where I can actually think creatively, creativity, cre creatively. <laughs> and I had that idea within a place of prayer. It was so simple, but it worked. And, and what, what's happened to me as I went on and on and on is anytime I need an idea or I'm trying to figure out, even with leadership, I'm trying to figure out where do we go next, 
I've learned it's so simple, Phil. You don't know what to do. What do I do when I do not, what, don't know what to do? I pray. And I calm my nerves. And I calm my mind from trying to work it out my way. And I says, God, I don't know what to do. But and I'm telling you, consistently for the last 10, 15 years, God has just given me some idea. And it's so natural and so organic. Give me a plan. And it's so smart, and I couldn't think of, think of some of these things up on my own. But it wasn't until I calmed the nerves and calmed the fear and allowed faith to rise up, I could start to think clearly because we're built for faith. We're built to think through that perspective. Maybe right now you're in the same scenario, and, and just like the walls fell in Jerusalem, people lost their jobs, they lost their, their way of life. I'm telling you, try to pray. Try going to God and saying, God, I don't know what to do. I'm feeling the pain right now. Let the pain push out your purpose. Can I get an amen? amen. Number three, and lastly, before we, we move on into another song of worship, you don't have to be appointed by man if you're chosen by God. You don't have to be appointed by man. Listen, there was no minister and there was no leader. The king didn't come to Nehemiah and say, listen, you're now appointed to go and save the people in Jerusalem. The Bible doesn't say that. It doesn't say that Nehemiah was uh, urged on by a friend beside them or, or, or a relative called him, sent him an email and said, I need your help. No one asked for his help. Because if you're appointed by God, you're chosen by God, then God will give you everything you need. He will give you the resources. He will give you the ideas. He will give you the strength. He will give you the burden. You don't have to be appointed. See, some of us in here watching online, we've been waiting for somebody to call us out before we'll go and pursue whatever burdens our hearts or before we even start the conversation. But actually, if we watch from the story of Nehemiah, he didn't wait for anybody. His burden came to him as he heard about real life, real situations. So the question I have for you, what is it that bothers you? What, what is it that you can't stand any longer? What is it that when you hear you have to, you, you want to shut it down, you don't want to talk about it because it bothers you to the point we can't stand down any longer. You have to avoid it or, or you'll, you'll want to do something. What is it? Don't wait for me to call it out. As much as the church, we want to prophesy and speak life over people and pull out their gifts. Life's too short. Some things we'll never know. There's some secrets between you and God that we will never know. Don't wait. Yes, take advice. Yes, come under uh, godly advice and and there's wisdom in a multitude of wise counsel, absolutely. But, but Nehemiah had this burden in his heart. Then he spoke to the king and asked for advice and asked for his blessing, asked for his approval that he would go. But the burden came first. So what that means is you can no longer hide behind waiting for somebody to pull it out of you. <laughs> That's no longer an excuse. If you want to live a life that rebuilds walls, if you, if you want to live a life that fixes problems 
and that brings them or passes them on to the next generation. If you want to live a life that protects the vulnerable, that brings light into people's lives, if you want to live a life that makes a difference, ask yourself, what is it on the earth right now, in my life right now, that I cannot stand any longer? And I'm going to make a difference. I was just thinking about Nehemiah's heart in all of this and how his heart was really that he didn't want any more injustice. And because God is a just God, we're made in his image. He's a just God. And I think if we're all honest, we love the justice system. When somebody's done wrong or there's, a, there's somebody on the street and they've murdered, or, or they're, you're starting to fear for your life, you're starting to fear for your children. Why? Because there's danger. The walls are down. And so you want justice for that person so they would get a chance to make things right. They would get a chance to get out of being a danger to themselves and to others. You want justice, right? If we're honest with ourselves and we believe, what's this? If we believe this, if we believe that God sees everything, right? So God sees everything. That means God sees every thought that you have. Oh, that's a bit scary, that thought. So God sees every selfish thought that you have. He sees every good thought. He sees it all. If I was to ask you a question right now, have you ever lied? <laughs> now, understanding from the perspective that God sees everything, have you ever lied? You'd be like, if you're honest, you'll say yes. If I asked you, have you ever stolen anything? Even the smallest thing when you were young, Say, so, yeah, I have. Have you ever looked at somebody with lust? If you're honest, probably say yes. So, so as we build all, go through the Ten Commandments, you'll see all these, this list of things that, whoa, what, I, what do I do with that now? I, I realize that I've fallen short and there's something that I've done, but, but how do we, how do, we, how do we bring justice to those situations? And say you're before a judge, you know, how often do we say, but I'm a good person? You know, I, 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 there's a part of me that believes I'm a good person. You know, God's not going to leave me. I'm a good person. And, and, and sometimes we think that way. And if we were to bring it before a judge and we say, judge, hey, uh, I know I've lied and there's a fine with that and a parking ticket but, 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 you know, judge, I'm a good person. You know, that parking ticket, just don't worry about it. He would laugh. He'd say, you're, you're ridiculous because justice is justice. The fine has to be paid and, before you're free. Now, what could happen is somebody could come into that courtroom and say, I'm paying the fine for this person and they can be free. But until the fine is paid, the judge would just say, we can't let you go until the fine and the penalty has been fulfilled. If we look at our lives the same way, well, what do we do with those lies? Because someone who lies is a liar. Someone who steals is a thief. Some, someone who lusts. Jesus tells us that they're, they're, it's adultery in the heart. So the question is, then Jesus also warns us about a place called hell. And he talks about heaven. It's a warning. It's a stiff warning of like you're in danger of 
Gehenna fire. So if that price isn't paid and you're before the judge, what, what happens? Because there's a debt before a just God, the same just justice that we have in our own heart when we see it on the earth and we want to fix it and we want to make it right. What do we do before the judge? There has to, the price has to be paid. It has to be paid. But thank God, Jesus came into the courtroom and he said, I'm going to pay the price for them if they accept it. Meaning all those lies, all those things that we've stolen, all those sins that we've done, Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to stand in the gap for that person because I'm going to give my life for them. And if they acknowledge that there's a problem and they receive the free gift of salvation, they'll be saved. They're out of the courtroom. They're no longer condemned. They're no longer separated from God. They can live forever with God because the price has been paid. Redemption has come. And maybe you're watching online or in person and we need to recommit, you need to recommit your life to God right now. And you're in the courtroom and you know that in the courtroom, if God sees everything, you're guilty. You're separated. You cannot live forever with God. Well, the good news is, that's why we call it good news, is that Jesus came into the courtroom and he's offering you salvation. He's offering you eternity with him. It's free. All you have to do is accept it. It's great news. Because it's not just the beginning. Uh, it's not, we're not just waiting till heaven. Your life with Jesus begins right now. God begins to use you for purpose like Nehemiah. God begins to use you to bring other justice on the earth. Even though you're broken and there's, there's, there's problems, he uses imperfect vessels to do amazing things. So if that's you, let's say this prayer together. God, I repent of my sins. I receive the free gift of salvation. I receive the free gift of life. I receive the price that was paid on the cross for all of my sins. I thank you for a brand new start. I thank you for paying the penalty. I thank you that I have a relationship with Jesus the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. I hope it encouraged you. There's a few things I'd love you to do. I'd love you to subscribe to our YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify account. This is so you can keep up with our most recent material and messages. If this ministry has impacted your life and you'd love to help us reach others, you can do that right now by going to ariachurch.org and giving now. Cannot wait to see you next week on the Ariat Church podcast.